It is the LDS Life Podcast. I'm Kevin Williams, podcasting from my Kevin Cave in West Jordan, Utah. I have, uh, haven't done a podcast in a few months. A lot of things have come up, but uh, I'm going to get back and do this again. A couple announcements here before we get the podcast going. First of all, if you want to email me, you can go ahead and do so at kevinw at ldslifepodcast.com. That's Kevin W. at LDSLifePodcast.com. You can also like the LDS Life Podcast on Facebook by going to LDS Life Podcast. And yes, I'll get a Twitter feed shortly. Without uh, further ado, though, here is uh, Cameron Taylor. Hi, Cameron. Hello. How are you? Very good today. How are you doing? I'm not bad. Um, in fact, uh, this is going to be a fun podcast because I remember you as uh, when we were little kids. You used to be friends with my brother, Kyle. And Yes. Uh, I was like, uh, don't hold my uh, childhood years against me. <laughs> Actually, uh, I do remember. Um, we'll uh, get into the meat of this podcast here. But uh, I remember you, used to, you and Kyle used to play the Atari. You used to play uh, Jungle Hunt, Circus Atari, and... Uh, Frogger, you probably played a few other games that I don't remember, uh, but those are the ones that I remember you played, and then I do remember you were playing Cops and Robbers, and I was kind of irritated with you, because you had an instrument that you were using for a gun, and I said, that wasn't a gun, that's not a gun, that's an instrument, and you said, well, we're pretending it's a gun. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Uh, there you go. What do you remember about me growing up? I remember uh, eating a lot of sugar sandwiches. That's what I remember. I remember. Uh, I do remember playing uh, the Atari and getting uh, many high scores. Oh. Atari. Atari was a great. Uh, yeah, that was a great gaming system. Had a lot of fun with that one. Guess who worked for Atari? I don't know. Steve Jobs. Before he started Apple. This is a great place to jump into our podcast. You're an entrepreneur. Yes. That's why I had you on the show, because of your books. We're going to get into all kinds of topics. We're going to get into your uh, entrepreneurship. We're going to get into politics a little bit. Uh, Not too far into it, but a little bit, because I know you're politically minded. Uh, So let's just start off at the top here. How did you get into being an entrepreneur, and what kind of businesses do you have? Well, I think as a... As I was in college at uh, Brigham Young University in Provo, um, again, you're trying to decide what it is you want to do for your career. Um, I try to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so as I pondered and studied it out, um, I like to interview different people, but I also like to look at what their life would be like, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the road as I started interviewing different people in uh, various professions um, I was really drawn to the entrepreneur. I've always had some interest in uh, starting my own business, although I, you know, came from a family where my, you know, dad had worked at a factory for, you know, 40 years and hadn't seen a lot of entrepreneurship in direct relationships. But through uh, the Center for Entrepreneurship there at BYU, I was introduced to uh, uh, many different entrepreneurs, and I felt like that was the uh, the path the Lord wanted me to take was to start and build companies. So, oh, very good. And uh, what kind of companies do you own now? 
I know you invest in a few and you own a few. What kind of companies do you own? So we do have uh, we have a, a national law firm that we specialize in lawsuit protection and tax reduction and estate planning. So we have clients in all 50 states. So I work with the uh, top attorneys that uh, specialize in that niche area of law. We've been doing that for 15 years now. I uh, have some ownership in some oil and natural gas wells uh, that we've done in uh, Texas and Utah. And uh, I've done some venture capital work, so I um, uh, I own interest in a, a couple different companies that I've uh, put up the uh, venture capital for. So now, is your law firm that you own uh, what kind of law does it specialize in? So we specialize in that uh, asset protection. So it's uh, our clients are usually small business owners that are looking to protect their assets from lawsuits and also minimize their taxes and set up their estate plans so that's that's what we do and is your law firm located in uh, Rexburg it is actually uh, located in uh, Orem and so I had an office there I lived in Provo till we moved up here to Idaho six years ago so I work from a home office here but we still have offices uh, in Utah so we have offices in uh, in Orem and in St. George and then we have, you know, clients uh, all throughout the state. We have different advisors and experts in uh, other states uh, throughout the country. So I assume that uh, you must travel down here to Salt Lake quite a bit then, or down to Orem and such and other places. That's one of the great things about technology now is that, uh, you know, I can work with people all over the world. One of the businesses we've I provide venture capital for, we now have uh, sales in over 50 countries. And yet, I haven't been, you know, I don't have to travel to uh, secure those businesses. Or as we have clients in all 50 states, even our our law firm is, you know, most of our work is done uh, using the technology. So we can meet with people all over from uh, right here in uh, Rigby, Idaho, or in our offices in uh, Utah. So, all right. So with a young family, I've made that constant conscious choice to not travel a whole lot so the traveling I do is typically with uh, my family or if I do take a trip I usually take one of my children with me but I've chose I said the most important thing that I do is as a father and a husband so with a young family I try to spend as much time as I can here at home and one of the reasons I also work from home that allows me to take a break and go play a game of darts or go play soccer in the backyard or see the picture that uh, one of my children had just drawn so yeah it's been good do you play a lot of lawn darts <laughs> we haven't done lawn darts i do remember playing lawn darts at my uh, grandma and grandpa's house those have all been uh, outlawed now we do play some uh, ladder ball and some uh, bean bag toss that we have out in the backyard but yeah, we ought to pull out the old lawn darts. I probably could find them somewhere from my, uh, my dad's probably still got my grandma's lawn darts somewhere in the garage. Believe it or not, and I haven't uh, played darts myself, but I have actually seen a talking dart machine. I guess uh, me as a blind person, I just have to figure out how to throw them to the machine. I guess it'd have to make a noise or something. That would be very interesting. Yeah, we do have a dartboard. So we in our home here we have a game room, so we do have the traditional uh, 
darts and it is one of the electronic tart dart boards that does uh speak so that's yeah it's a fun fun thing to do with the kids oh very good now you've written uh, quite a few books uh we'll get into your books one of them is uh, uh what, what kind of books have you written i know you've written one about uh the book where somebody is there's an attempted assassin with the vice president and that person is in a coma, and while he's in a coma, he has dreams uh, about the history of this country. And uh, your books have been endorsed by uh, quite a few uh, well-named people. Kim Blanchard, the author of One Minute Management. Um, your books have also been endorsed by John Huntsman, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And uh, let's see, what else do I have here? I've been endorsed by a bunch of people. The person who wrote uh, The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, what who other what uh, other authors have endorsed you besides uh, that? And uh, Richard, I think it was Richard DeVos who wrote uh, The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, yeah, Rich DeVos is actually DeVos, the owner yeah. of the of the uh, Orlando Magic. Oh, that's and right. So yeah. That, that was very exciting when I got his endorsement. He endorsed uh, one of my books called Does Your Bag Have Holes? And same with John Huntsman Sr. So it's a book. Subtitle of that book is 24 Truths That Lead to Financial and Spiritual Freedom. So I took a writing sabbatical from after selling one of my companies and uh, spent 3,000 hours putting that book together, bringing the worlds of of spirituality and finance together that's what people say well it's kind of like a dave ramsey book but uh with a much greater focus on that foundation of of god and those biblical principles and so that book um you know we were shipping uh copies of that book all across the country and it was exciting to get those were a few of the letters that i received so i was received letters from you know billionaire rich devos and billionaire john huntsman uh, senior uh, telling me how much they enjoyed the book, so it was exciting to see it reach, uh, you know, different people who I had admired and respected in the business world. I remember we got one phone call from a CEO of a of a billion dollar company, and my receptionist answered the phone, and she's like, he's like, I'd like to see if I could set up an appointment to, uh, you know, speak with Cameron, and uh, the receptionist like what, and he explains who he is, and you know, she recognized. Uh, Obviously, he was a, you know, part of a a big company. He's like, he's like, you don't have to schedule an appointment. He's just sitting in his office across the hall. You can talk to him right now if you want. <laughs> so, she transferred him over, and we had a nice uh, chat. So it was exciting to see that, yeah, he bought uh, copies of the book for all of his uh, executives, employees, and so yeah. that was it. It was fun as a as an author that started at uh, BYU. You know, getting an F minus on my first paper at BYU to be oh no to then uh, yep learn and develop and figure out uh, how to write. That's as I said, as I asked the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? One of those things he told me he wanted to do was to write books, and I'm like, man, how am I going to write books? I have a hard time reading books, but. Uh, yeah, so, so now it's exciting to see many of those authors and business leaders that I admired as a college student were then uh, reading and endorsing my work. So it's been a it's been a fun adventure. But I I still remember that I am the uh, F minus writer. It's when I'm an instrument in the hands of God that I can say, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
But when I try to ride on my own, I'm a still an F rider. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess uh, the Lord will help confiscate. Uh, will help. Um, will uh, confiscate for that. I have a firm belief in that. Uh, how did uh, Richard DeVos from the Orlando Magics find out about your book? Any idea? Well, he's also the founder of uh, the Amway Corporation, and uh, so that's uh, yeah another you know billion dollar company that uh, he's he is one of the founders and chairman of, and they have a lot of uh, book clubs uh, throughout. They have a large network of uh, distributors and independent business owners that work with their company, and so many of those book clubs had uh, interest in the books and as well. So it was a it was a book that uh, fit, and that's that's one of the cultures of his different companies. They have a a focus on uh, education and learning. So, mine was one of those books that they d- discovered. So, by the way, uh, real quick, if you've ever uh, uh, there's a guy I'm I'm sure you've heard of Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad. You probably even read it. Uh, yes, I've read all of his uh, all of his books. They're- yeah, great books. He is uh, a f- real fan of Amway. As a matter of fact, you probably know in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he advises people to go into a multi-level marketing company because they would uh, they will teach you good sales tactics. I can't remember if he endorsed Amway in the book or not, but I know he did at one point uh, elsewhere. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, story. I, did, I liked his books. I read them in college, and I actually uh, – I remember calling uh, his office, and his wife answered the phone, and he was right there next to us. But back when they had first self-published uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I was you know buying cases of the books to, to share with uh, other people at the college and friends of mine. And, and his big break was that he was discovered by some of those book clubs uh, in the Amway Corporation. He actually had his book for sale at a uh, at a gas station, and one of the Amway Diamonds saw Rich Dad Poor Dad in the gas station, and called him up and said, "How many books do you have?" And he's, you know, he had only sold a few copies, and uh, he bought the rest that he had from his first printing, and and then from that, as it made its way through there you know, thousands of sales reps and then went on to become a bestseller. But yeah, he went to all the traditional publishers. Everyone rejected it, said it would never sell. And so it was uh, it was the uh, uh, Amway distributors that actually, uh, yep, was the one that uh, gave uh, Robert Kiyosaki his big break and helped him uh, become a bestselling author. So I, I think that's part of the reason why he uh, does recommend and endorse it. But there's in uh but uh, they do have some great educational programs and that's one of the things we see dying in America is we we need more education on entrepreneurship on starting your own company but also also on patriotism and a free enterprise and and uh, so some of the network marketing companies out there are, are you know some of the few companies and organizations that are still you know, very active in in teaching uh, those principles. So I think they're doing a, important work in that in that realm. You know, one of the uh, I don't mean to go off too too much off topic, but uh, this is a podcast. We can do this. One of the things uh, multi level marketing companies that I have found out about recently uh, speaking. I don't know if they do a lot if they teach about about, about patriotism. 
but I know that there are quite a few patriots in the company. Are you familiar with Thrive Life? I'm not familiar with that one. It's a multi-level marketing food storage yeah. company. Okay. But uh, speaking of entrepreneurship and all that, why do you think there's less entrepreneurs? Is it because people, you know, people like my dad know? I don't mean to knock on my dad. My dad was a great dad, but you know, he was really conservative. Still is uh, conservative in the sense of, you know, being with the establishment. Oh, you have to go to school. You have to find a good job. Do you think it's because of that? Uh, why do you think there's not much entrepreneurship going on like there was uh, way back? Well, I think it does come back to education. And so most of our traditional education with the, you know, with public schools and high schools and even colleges, they're not, there's not a real focus on entrepreneurship and starting your own business. So most of the education is focused on getting a job. I remember I was even at a meeting uh, for one of the the centers of entrepreneurship I was on the board of at, at one of the schools, and uh, the directors was talking about the job placement rate of those in the center for, uh, that those that were involved with the center for entrepreneurship, and all of us on the board are just like, well, that's just that is this is not impressive. It's like the the job placement should be zero. We want everyone starting their own own a business if they're if they're getting placed into job then we're failing as a center for entrepreneurship but again so much of the focus of school and even those that have centers for entrepreneurship is placing people into jobs so we have to change that that focus and the training and so i think as generations have passed i mean no one came to america to get a job there was no jobs here they came here for freedom and independence to start their own businesses and I think so over time, as we've become more established as a, uh, you know, with the industrial age and other things to where people would, yeah, go and get a job. And at, uh, that's kind of perpetuated from generation to generation. But it, it just, it could be changed with uh, more of a focus on entrepreneurship in our, in our education system. But it's pretty much non-existent there. So if you're, if you're teaching people from K to, from you know, kindergarten to through college, all about uh, getting a job. Well, you're not going to have many of uh, these people starting their own business, and even graduating from the business school at BYU and having an emphasis in entrepreneurship. Um, it was still there. Was so much of it was, oh, well, you could start your own business, but it's really risky, you know. You could lose everything, you know, and so it was still that it was almost like the college was almost would was discouraging you from actually going and starting your own business, which I always found uh, interesting. So I actually dropped out of the MBA program because I I felt no, I just need to make that leap and go start my own company instead of uh, continuing in the uh, the traditional route. So I was like, well, for me, if wanting to start my own company, you know. Uh, an MBA didn't really make sense from BYU to if I, you know, if I really wanted to start my own company. So that that's where I made that shift. So I think that's I think that's where we're seeing that uh, decline. I think even a lot of the entrepreneurs that I see uh, in the different businesses I work with, a lot of the entrepreneurs are coming from uh, other countries. Those that still know this is the land of liberty and opportunity, 
and uh, they may come here and get a job initially, but their their goal and their dream is to own their own business. And so we need to we need to instill that same same uh, passion and and desire uh, in the uh, youth of America today that that they want to start their own business. What do you say to those that? tell you go out because and uh, again I'm LDS just like you are and uh, one of the talks I was listening to by President Hinckley uh, the you remember the six B's I was in my early 20s when that talk was given and one of the things that President Hinckley said was be smart sacrifice a car sacrifice a house do what you need to do to get education now we all interpret that is go to college and we've heard many general authorities in conference or whatever stress the idea of going to college i even heard president hinckley once at a priesthood meeting i believe it was back in 1999 say if you don't want to go to college go to a trade school but a lot of people and i assume and i'm not knocking down anybody here it's just the fact of the culture a lot of people say oh well that means we got to go to college um do you think the general authorities and other people ought to maybe promote entrepreneurship at general conference and things like that when they talk about education instead of just going to college and usually i think a lot of that is is our application of what they're saying is yeah when they talk about education um you know there is the traditional education i do find that there is you know, value in a college education. I enjoyed my uh, time at Brigham Young University and learned some great things there. But uh, I've continued to learn since I've left there. I've read, you know, hundreds and hundreds of books. I think, you know, reading books is like when I want to start something new or learn something new, I usually start with a book. And it's just, and even when I was in college, I was still always reading books on the side. I now have a library of, you know, thousands and thousands of books. And uh, so I think someone can get uh, can get a amazing education uh, with the, uh, you know, resources that are available, um, you know, with all the different books on all the different topics that are out there. And a lot of it, uh, you know, the the motto of, uh, of BYU is, you know, enter to learn, go forth to serve. But I've actually found that a, that a better motto may be go forth to serve and you will learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it was like, it, and it all depends on what you want to do. So as you ask that question, Lord, what do you want me to do? If the Lord wants me to be a, to be a heart surgeon as is President Nelson, well, then there is a, there's a path in schooling that's required to be, to be a heart surgeon. And one of the quotes from him that I love, he said, the difference between wanting to help people and actually being able to help people is education. That it took him decades of learning how to be a heart surgeon. So it's, it's learning to become something. And for me, where I said I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I wanted to learn how to build companies, the traditional education really wasn't the best path for that. And that's why I dropped out of MBA school and yeah. started my own company. So I still got education. I mean, I was still you know, meeting with entrepreneurs, reading books, attending seminars, and then just actually building the company and learning the different skills that I needed as I was actually building those companies. So I still say I have an MBA, but my MBA is now from U.S. Bank. It's called Money in My Bank Account. So <laughs> I I have an MBA from U.S. Bank instead of an MBA from BYU. So it just 
But for me, when I asked that question, Lord, do you want what? What do you want me to do? He said, I want you to, you know, build companies. I've I've learned most of that by doing it, and from other entrepreneurs, not from traditional education. And same with writing. And a lot of people come to me and say, Well, how did you learn how to how to write books? And you now, how did you have now several best-selling books? You know, how did that how did that come about? I haven't had any traditional um, education in in writing and literature. Um, it's all come from studying other authors, reading other good books, and uh, other authors who've mentored me, and then so, uh, many great editors that as I write, and then, you know, I've had dozens of editors that I've worked with over the year, and they've helped to, uh, as I see all the things they correct in my writing, I was like, oh, that's when you use that, or that's what that punctuation's for, or oh yeah, that does sound better that way, and you learn by doing, and yeah. you learn... Learned by revelation, and I was like, the best mentor, the best teacher we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Absolutely. So, and uh, I have learned in my education, I got a degree in communications. I'm learning more about uh, broadcasting. Well, I learned uh, more about broadcasting when I got into the real world at KTalk Radio and doing this podcast. I'm uh, constantly critiquing myself about how I've done and you also wrote a book called uh, "Attributes of or the Eight Attributes of Great Achievers," and some of those attributes or some of those achievers include George Washington, Christopher Columbus, the Wright brothers. As far as I know, none of them had a college degree, did they? <laughs> no, and that's what you start seeing the uh, pattern of these great achievers, and that's what I also saw in my study and learning. It was like. Yeah, these were very educated men. I mean, George Washington, you know, had a library of uh, over 900 books at his death, which in the in the 1700s was a massive library. And same with Columbus. Columbus had had almost no formal education, but yet he had thousands of books in his library, which in the 1400s was a massive, you know, library at the time. His collection of books is actually. Uh, he passed it on to his son, who added thousands and thousands of more volumes to his collection, and it was then donated to to the Catholic Church. And is still you can still see those volumes of books and uh, Columbus's notes in those pages. So yeah, these men were very uh, educated men, um, but uh, but very little formal uh, education. And, uh, yeah, one of the other ones that's featured in here is Nephi Grigg. He was the founder of Orida Foods right there in Ontario, Oregon, where we both grew up. And so he's featured in uh, Volume 2 of the Eight Attributes of Great Achievers. And one of his quotes that I love, he said, I never let school get in the way of my education. He actually doesn't even have a high school education. He had to drop out of uh, high school to work on the family farm and, and take care of the family farm. And he went on to build uh, a huge company in Orida Foods, you know, right there in Ontario. Yep. Uh, and so very, very educated uh, individual, had developed his skills and talents. But, yeah, he didn't do that through uh, their traditional, what we think of as education as high school and college. And that's a pattern you see with a lot of the great achievers that I think that oftentimes the traditional schooling actually uh, – you know, hinders our creativity and our innovation and kind of puts us down that one path of, you know, going to get a job when, 
there may be uh, other skills and talents and opportunities uh, that the Lord has in mind for us that would uh, require a different path. So, by the way, a side note: uh, both of our parent, well, both of our fathers worked for Orida Foods. My dad was the head engineer. What, what did your dad do at Orida? He was a. Uh, wasn't he a productions manager yeah, or something? Yeah, production supervisor there. And so that was – so when I was at uh, BYU, every time I would come home to visit Ontario, I'd bring my old – I had my 1980 Ford Courier that I paid cash for because, again, I believe in being debt-free and paying cash for everything. Even in college, I graduated debt-free. I had my $1,200 1980 Ford Courier that I bought for cash, would drive that to Ontario. We'd fill up. I'd go down to the Orida Foods, and my dad would go down to the production line, and we would fill up the whole back of my truck. So we would have the French fries, the Burger King fries, tater tots, all the different things they manufacture. And so, uh, yeah, those French fries helped uh, put me through college. So <laughs> was, uh, I was always – everyone would always uh, run out. I obviously couldn't fit them all in my freezer. So when I'd pull into my apartment complex at uh, BYU – you know, everyone would go run around all the doors, say, Cameron's back. He's got all the French fries. And we would stock every freezer in the apartment complex with the Orata French fries. So, yeah, that was. <laughs> There's <was laughs> one was uh, thing I don't like about your statement, though. You didn't have any steakum, did you? <laughs> no, I don't know that they were manufacturing that anymore. I do remember that at one point, but. Yeah, all right. I used to own the uh, factory mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. I think they sold it, though. But I think uh, there's actually a difference between Steakum and Philly cheese. I know they're similar, but I read about it on Wikipedia. There is a difference on how Steakum is made. I remember having Steakum as a kid. Um, of course, uh, mm-hmm. anyway, you wrote another book here uh, called 12 Paradox of the Gos- of Gospel Truths, correct? Yeah, 12 Paradoxes paradox of the Gospel. Of yeah. Uh, elaborate on that a little bit, and then I want to get into some other topics a little bit deeper. Okay. So this one was, as you study the uh, the Gospel of Jesus Christ and you, his life and his ministry, so many of his teachings were paradoxical. And that he would say, he that loses his life shall find it. And so... I looked at there's 12 different paradoxical statements like that. So we then have a chapter on the paradox of faith, the paradox of grace, the paradox of leadership. And we go through and look at those different statements such as, you know, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And you're like, well, what does that exactly mean and how does that uh, apply? And so that was a that was a fun study. One of my favorite topics to write on is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this was a, a fun book to, to put together to, to look at those examples and then, you know, pull in real life stories. That's what I try to do in all the different books. Uh, you know, whether it's Nephi Grigg on the founding of Orida and the tater tot or, you know, George Washington and amazing stories from the revolution and, you know, his term as president. And so still looking at those, different lives of great Christians uh, that we intertwine throughout each of these uh, paradoxes as we, you know, look at them in more depth and, and how oftentimes it's, it's an indirect approach that gets us to where we want. You know, a lot of people, if you're trying to pursue happiness directly, the more you make happiness your direct pursuit, 
you know, or same with entrepreneurship. The more you make money your direct pursuit, the more elusive and the farther away it gets. When you make service, when you make becoming an instrument in the hands of God, when you put faith first, all those other things fall into place. And so it's learning that that there's there's indirect actions that will get us to those direct results that we want. And uh, so on and so each of those paradoxes kind of look at some of those things that initially may seem counterintuitive to get us to where we want, but we see that the Savior was teaching us that, well, that is the, uh, you know, service is the best way to, uh, to happiness or that, uh, you know, being mission-driven is the best way to, uh, you know, build prosperity and abundance. Yeah, now I want to talk about a pretty powerful speech you gave on YouTube that I want to talk uh, briefly touch on the political landscape of this country because I know you're politically minded. Uh, I want to talk about a speech I thought was pretty powerful. It made me think you uh, gave a speech. I don't know. I am assuming it was a convention, and you talked about somebody you used to meet with 15 minutes a week. And that person had a massage chair he wanted to bring into his room or his office. And the delivery person said, I can't do it. You, I measured everything. We can't do it. And so he told you, uh, Cameron, to go find a way to get this in. You suggested taking off the molding of uh, the door and the molding. And it would, come, it would uh, uh, you know, the chair would go into the office and the delivery people didn't want to do it. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and uh, what did you take from that experience? Yeah, that was uh, so in 2001. Uh, that's we started a, a new company, and so I, um, so my investor also became my mentor, and so we met for that 15 minutes a week. He was a yeah exceptional mentor. Actually, was that my, at Rigby? it was actually in Provo. Okay. So we actually met, um, yeah, through BYU, and he was already he had already built, uh, se- you know, several multi-million dollar companies, and uh, in his twenties, and he was still very young. I think he's only five years older than I am, and uh, so it, my my oldest son is actually named uh, after him. Uh, so he was a a great mentor. So he he put up all the money for the business and. I put up the time to uh, build and create the business, but that was in that meeting to where, you know, the delivery men said, you know, it was impossible for them to fit uh, my mentor's Mitch's uh, massage chair up in his office. That, you know, and it, that gave me an opportunity. I was just, I'm always trying to think of, of, uh, you know, ways to get things done. So in my mentor asked me to do it my immediate response was sure and so after getting that uh, massage chair into the room as I returned back to meeting with him and uh, I said the uh, the massage chair is in your office and uh, he then said well we can learn a very valuable lesson from what just happened here he said the delivery man came up with excuses you came up with solutions. He said, the delivery man said it was impossible. You asked the question, how is it possible? He then looked at me and said, that's why the delivery men make eight fifty an hour and you will be a millionaire. 
and this is when we were just you know in the, some of the early phases of building the company, and we did go on to build that company to be a, a multi-million dollar company by the time I was thirty, and uh, so. But it was he was such a an inspiration uh, to me. To uh, he was a great innovator, um, and uh, had that same attitude. And I learned a lot of the the principles of uh, of putting God first. Uh, one of the statements in one of my books is, uh, you know, if you put God last, you'll go nowhere fast. That uh, came from my mentor Mitch, and uh, he always talked about God being his partner, and that we need to be instruments in the hands of the Lord. And we started you know, our board meetings and our different meetings with prayer. And, you know, when we had questions or were seeking uh, solutions to problems, we sought divine guidance and divine help. And so a lot of those principles of learning how to use um, and how to learn from Jesus Christ as a mentor, uh, I learned from, uh, yeah, from my mentor, Mitch. So... Now, I'll bet did it take a while to put the molding back on the in the door on the doorway and the door back? You know, it uh, it didn't take too long. You know, so yeah, that uh, yeah that that story that I gave at my TED talk. You know, it was obviously a very abbreviated. That that was was a challenge given a TED talk. I mean, I do talks where I do all day seminars. I have a three day seminar that I do where I speak for twenty hours. And wow. they said, well, you, you got 10 minutes. I'm like, 10 minutes? I was like, that's the shortest time slot I've ever had. Even when I have a keynote, I have 60 minutes. But uh, So I had to yeah, shorten that story down. But yes, I did put, before I went back to his office, we did put the uh, molding back on the inside of the door and put the door back on. Um, so uh, it didn't take you know that long to, to do. Yeah, and I, so everything was back in place like... Uh, like uh, we had never touched anything, but again, that's for every challenge there is a solution. But uh, if you think it's impossible, you won't even try. And that was the mentality of the uh, of the delivery man. They didn't think it was possible, and um, so yeah, I, they didn't I, try. I do want to play devil's advocate for a little bit. What would have happened if even uh, suppose even if you took the molding off the wall and the doorway off the door? And it didn't fit in. What would have been your solution at that point? Yeah, that was the uh, it barely fit, and we had to go in at just the right angle, and that's why it took four people. It took four people to carry the massage chair up there. But there still is a you know a reality that if the if the chair was um, that much bigger than the door frame, yeah, there could have been other solutions. But obviously, yeah, if you had to, you know cut the door bigger, cut the, you know, cut the sheetrock and fix it. I mean, there'd still be a way to get in there or disassemble the massage chair and reassemble it. But yeah, there would have been some uh, much more difficult objects or if the window, you know, it was up on the third floor. And so, but we could have taken it up through a window possibly if there was a, you know, window that happened to be wider and you develop a pulley system to get it in there. So, I mean, if those items wouldn't have uh, worked, then we, you know, could have looked at other Basically, other what you're solutions. saying is uh, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, but there still is a, uh, you know, there is a, a a fact of the matter that, yeah, it could have been that, uh, that uh, you know, other things would have had been done to fit the massage chair through that door. But that's, that's yeah, finding those solutions, whatever those, you know, may happen to be. And I think that, 
that's an attitude as we uh, – my children now know if they say the word I can't, they correct themselves just with my look. And they say, I know, Dad. How can I? Or they say, oh, that's impossible. I just give them the look and they're like, yes, how is it possible? Because that just that approach to life um, – and a lot of times the, you know, the, the questions we ask determine the answers we get. So if I'm asking that question, well, how do I get the massage chair in or how do I build a uh, multi-million dollar company? How do I write a book? You know, how do I create a best-selling book? See, I'm now asking those questions to then you'll find the answers. And so a lot of times the size of your question will determine, you know, the size of your answer. Yeah. Now, uh, if somebody comes to you today... Uh, saying, and I think this is a legitimate concern, especially uh, with the political landscape. This is where I want to get uh, somewhat political. I don't want to get too political because that's not the point of this podcast today. But if somebody says, I'm afraid to start a business, if Hillary Clinton wins, we're going to be in communism. Um, I'm afraid if I get into business, for example, uh, the business I'm trying to start here, the LDS Life podcast, I want to good at this before I actually get somebody to put money into me or whatever, but um, I could easily say, I don't want to do this. Uh, The internet is now a public utility, which you may or may not know, and that's very dangerous. And uh, yeah, I do have worries about Hillary Clinton being in office. What would you say if someone says, I don't want to start a business because if Hillary gets in, we're going straight down to communism and uh, all kinds of things. What would you say to that person? Because I, I wonder if that's why we're not getting a lot of entrepreneurs, a sphere of the political landscape. It is, and uh, we see it. We do seminars all across the country on financial topics uh, with uh, my asset protection business. We also do some financial topics with the, with the different uh, books that I've written, and you do see that. There is some people that aren't investing or aren't starting new companies or expanding and growing because they're of that uncertainty. But what I see... I see we live in the greatest time in the history of the world. We live in a day that has been prophesied of and looked forward to by every prophet before us. We live in the fullness of times. The resources that we have available to us, I said, there's never been a better time to start a business. So I said, the business that we just started uh, two years ago, we already have sales in over 50 countries. That would have been very difficult to do even 15 years ago. I mean, the opportunities that are now open and available for someone to start and succeed with a business, are it's better. It's better, and I think it'll continue to get better. Sure, there are going to be challenges. Sure, there are some, uh, some challenges in Washington, D.C., but I was like, Washington, D.C. does not control this country. It's we the people. And so... The solutions won't come from Washington, D.C. Now, they may cause some, create some barriers or challenges. But again, with that attitude of for every challenge, there is a solution. I say that the greatest companies have yet to be built. And there will be greater businesses, greater innovations, greater inventions that haven't even been thought of yet that will be coming in the decades uh, that are coming forward. So, I look at today, and I, if I was a, a young entrepreneur looking to get started, I was like, and you look at even the entrepreneurs from 40 years ago, man, 
they're looking at today and say, wow, I wish I would have had all the, the resource and the climate of today. And even the people look at saying, yeah, there are times that your, your political leaders can, uh, can definitely hinder and cause those problems uh, in freedom and entrepreneurship. I mean, we have the example from Hitler rising to power in Germany and the destruction that he caused. But you had those optimistic people like Winston Churchill. He's featured in the in the Eight Attributes of Great Achievers, and he fe- he's featured on the on the attribute of optimism, because he would never give in, even to a tyrant like Hitler. And there was there was many people. Even the ambassador to the United States said, "England is finished. English will be taken over by Germany." And and uh, there was actual plans that were made for an evacuation plan for Churchill and the other leaders. And when he found out about it, he said, no. He said, you destroy all those plans. There is no contingency plan. We will make Hitler rule the day that he ever attacked the nation of Great Britain. He stood with optimism. He stood with resolution. And that's what we will do as we the people. Even as we do get some tyrannical leaders, as we do have different things, we the people will stand for freedom. We will continue to fight and build. And the resolve of we the people will defeat anyone who is tyrannical in Washington, D.C., just as Winston Churchill beat the tyrannical dictator in Hitler in World War II. Now, that did cause, I mean, tremendous damage and destruction. But you look, Great Britain survived. Even after all the bombs of Hitler destroyed much of their nation, they rebuilt it, and they're now strong again. And so even as we have you know, some temporary setbacks or challenges from different uh, leaders in Washington, D.C., America is a land of liberty and freedom. It is a land that is with a prophecy and a destiny to be free. And we always have to remember, this is one thing when I do, I do uh, involved with the Boy Scouts of America. I've been a scout master a few times and involved in other callings throughout scouting throughout my life. And I'm still invited to participate in different border reviews. There's always one question I ask in those border reviews of those young men. And the question is this. Who is the leader of the United States of America? Now, who do you think they usually answer when I ask that question? Barack Hussein Obama. Yep. So they'll say Barack Obama. I've been doing that question for decades. So they'll either say Barack Obama or they'll say, you know, George Bush or Bill Clinton. As I hear, that's usually their first answer. I was like, no, think about the question. Who is the leader of the United States of America? And usually it takes them a while to think, and I may even have to prod them with uh, – you know, that we're one nation under God. We're not one nation under Obama. We're not one nation under Clinton. We are one nation under God. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lords of lords. He is the founder of this nation. He is the King of this nation. And so, as long as Jesus Christ is our leader, then we will prosper. Amen to that. I want to elaborate on a few things that you said um, in the podcast here. Um, you said that, uh, you know, things have changed. 
Uh, you talked about uh, how it's easier to start a business today in some respects than it was even 15 years ago. And I'm, uh, I'm a broadcaster. I, I can tell you, you're absolutely right. Let me give you an example. When you and I were growing up in the 1980s, early 90s, before the Internet became available to the public, did you know that in order to do a show like this from my basement, I would have had to have get I would have had to have gotten a satellite uplink, which would be really expensive, find a satellite station, and have the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, assign me a satellite frequency that I could transmit on just to get this show broadcasted to the world from my basement. Either that or I'd have to have uh, really expensive equipment, have a reel-to-reel -reel tape deck in my basement, record the show, distribute it to radio stations, or I would have to get a microwave transmitter, also known as a Marty unit, transmit it to a radio station that's within line of sight and have them pick me up. I don't have to do any of that now. I can just uh, do a podcast here from the laptop from my basement without any of the equipment that I mentioned and put it out on the Internet. How good is that? I know it is. Yeah, the uh, resources we have available to us today are, yeah, make it a great time for someone to go into business for themselves and also to then share your message with a lot of wider audience. See, as you now put this podcast available, you know, people can now search that. So you could have members of the church. You know, there's now more members outside of the United States than inside the United States. And as the church continues to grow, you know, that'll, that uh, number will continue to be larger outside the United States. That uh, disparity will continue to grow. But that's what's remarkable is that now you have, yeah, we now have apostles that can speak to it as a conference. And, you know, they're speaking to people in over 100 countries you know, at live at the same time as people can stream that through the internet. It's a, it's a, it is a great time to be alive and a great time to, uh, to be in business for yourself. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's told you this, and uh, this is not confidential. Of course, it better not be confidential. We're doing a podcast. But uh, <laughs> when I was a when I was a baby, my parents were extremely worried about my well-being. And if I would survive in this life and things like that as a blind person, it just so happens that uh, my grandmother, who unfortunately has passed away, but uh, I guess fortunately, depending on how you look at it, she had connections to general authorities in the church because her friend was a secretary to somebody, I, I don't know who, but uh, she arranged for me well, uh, for my parents to come down with me to Salt Lake during the summer of 1980, the year I was born. And I had a blessing by Paul H. Dunn. Now, many of you say, well, Paul H. Dunn's uh, excommunicated. What difference does it make? Well, Paul H. Dunn did a lot of things, and uh, he actually came back to the church. So in my mind, it doesn't matter that he was excommunicated, and the Lord's going to be his final judge anyway. But uh, one of the things that Paul H. Dunn said in the blessing was that uh, I would be the beneficiary of new technology. And uh, just going back to what we talked about, uh, 
how technology's changed in the broadcast industry. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you can think of others. You know, I, I don't have to have, like I said, a satellite dish to broadcast this throughout the whole world from my basement. I have a computer that talks to me with a screen reader. My iPhone talks to me. Actually, yours does too. If you go to, uh, what is it? Settings, general accessibility. All of these things, uh, like you said, uh, Paul H. Dunn, I believe, and I'm sure you agree with me, and you can certainly elaborate on this if you want to. I believe Paul H. Dunn was visionary about my future, do you think? Yes. I mean, that is uh, the gift of prophecy. Yep. You know, and so that to see, just even in, you look at, uh, yeah, since 1980 to today, Yep. you know, those 36 years, how much technology has been been brought forth. There was a blessing that I gave to a uh, a high school boy, and the wording in that language was that, uh, you know, and it's also, as you look this, all the technology that's coming forth, it's for those purposes. You see, it's it improves your life, but it's all to build the kingdom and bless God's children. And in that blessing, some of those specific things were mentioned. You know, the airplane's now been around for, you know, 100 years, but that the airplane was, was developed so that the missionaries and the apostles could fly throughout the world and meet yeah. with people. You know, that the, the Internet was developed uh, to help spread the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Philo Farnsworth, he's featured in, in uh, Eight After Great Achievers Volume 2, on, since he invented the television right here. But he talks about, you know, he, he was asked about inventing television. He said, he said, I've never invented anything. He said, I was just an instrument in the hands of God to bring forth technology as fast as the world was ready to receive it. And, and he saw that television was that, that, he saw that was the purpose, was, was to build the kingdom of God here on the earth and prepare for the return of Jesus Christ. That's why this technology is coming from, forth. And there are greater inventions and greater advances in technology than television and the internet that are still to come for the purpose of building the kingdom and preparing the way for Christ's return. And I believe uh, technology uh, is going to happen during the second coming as well. I have a hard time believing that it won't. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, I think they'll continue to be. There's that thousand-year, you know, millennial period uh, to where there'll continue to be advancements and developments and buildings and you know, there's a scripture in the uh, Doctrine and Covenants that says the same socialities that exist here will exist there. Mm-hmm. So some of those similar, you know, socialities of things that we're building and creating now will continue on. You know, during the millennium, you think anything that the Lord does takes time. You know, the uh, creative periods, you know, that creating the earth, the universe, you know, took uh, took you know, millions of years, and we look at the uh, process of us even learning and growing to become more like Jesus Christ. It's not a, it's not a process we'll complete in our, you know, 80 to 100 years that we have here on the earth for the, uh, you know, average life expectancy now, but that continues long on into the world to come. So to think that everything will be, uh, you know, perfect and complete at the time of the second coming, uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to be the case that we'll continue to uh, 
to build and grow and and establish Zion and uh, during that uh, millennial period. Yeah, and uh, you know we definitely live in uh, in the best of times and the worst of times, no doubt about it. Now, uh, before I end this uh, podcast, and I do want to talk to you a little bit when the podcast is over here, but uh, is there anything that you want to mention or I'd forgotten to mention? No, I think we've, uh, I didn't have any other, any specific topics in mind as we uh, came on. We'll just uh, get on and we'll just uh, talk story. So I think yep. we've had uh, a good discussion on a, a lot of different topics, and I, I think there is uh it's always interesting to see uh, where the Lord will take our our discussion and uh, yeah, some of the stories and and things that were shared. So, well, one more thing I wanted to ask: Did when you uh, decided you wanted to be an entrepreneur, uh, because um, you, our parents, your parent, my parents, your parents, pretty conservative, and I'm not talking politically; I'm talking conservative in tradition here. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to school, get a degree, get a job. You'll be able to be a great provider for your family. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're just happening to go about it a different way. What was that conversation like with your parents? Were they supportive of you? Did they try to discourage you? Did other people try to discourage you? How did that go? Yeah, and then those early years, yeah, there's there was definitely some, uh, yeah, your critics and the, the people that... Uh, would say, yeah, why don't you just go get a job? And, uh, you know, as my first business failed and I had tens of thousands of dollars in debt and they're like, well, why don't you go get a job? And I was like, I did try to get a job when I first got, you know, married. Um, but I got rejected from job after job after job. And when I go to the Lord and say, you know, why can't I get a job? It was like, again, it was just going to be temporary, but I needed some some income to at least pay my bills. But the answer came back. It's like, I don't want you to have a job. You're supposed to build a business. And so for me, I think, I think there's a lot more people out there that, uh, that are to have that entrepreneur, uh, effect and to build and create things. Um, uh, but you have to have that, that faith to say, okay, I'm going to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord and ask the question, Lord, what will you have me do? And take that leap of faith because it is, it is, I went through years. So yeah, I graduated from BYU in 99. So in 99, 2000, 2001, I never made more than 20,000 a year in those three years. So there was a, when my first business failed, I couldn't even pay my rent. My brother had a empty room at his condo my oldest brother Kobe and he, I asked him if I could stay there and I slept on the full on the floor and had my uh, stuff in a box because I had nothing I lost everything mm-hmm. and uh so yeah there's people like thinking it's like well yeah that's a real smart move to go be an entrepreneur but I was like no I felt like that's what God wanted me to do and I learned a lot from that first business I was like well I could have spent the time in in business school and spent the money going to end time in business school. Well, I was still getting my education. It was just in that realm of entrepreneurship. And I'd already determined when I started down that road of entrepreneurship, I knew I'd have failed businesses in there. As I interviewed all the different entrepreneurs, they all had stories of failures. But I committed that I was going to start at least 10 businesses. 
And after 10 businesses, if they didn't work, then I may have to go get a job. But I looked at the stats and I was like, there wasn't a single entrepreneur that came to talk to us that it that didn't have successful businesses after trying 10. So luckily for me, it was my, uh, you know, my second business was, was very successful and that we were able to build to, uh, you know, more than a million dollars a day in business. And then we we're able to, you know, then build other companies from there. But even those early years of that business, there were still times that I thought, well, maybe I should go, you know, take a job at the university or go take a job somewhere else where I have, you know, that steady, steady paycheck. But every time I think about it, I was like, well, that's not what the Lord wants me to do. And long term, I want the, uh, you know, the freedom and independence that comes from, you know, owning your own company. And for me, I was like, I couldn't give up that, uh, you know, that independence uh, and uh, also to be able to have that independence to then do whatever the Lord wanted me to do. You know, I want to emphasize on this uh, real quick and uh, then we'll... And the podcast, when I was on, I, ever since, I don't know how much you know about me when I was a kid or how much you knew about me in older years. I, I don't know what was said about me or whatever. Um, you can uh, elaborate on this if you want, because I really don't know how much you know about me or did know when we were kids. But uh, ever since I was seven years old, I had a heavy interest in radio. Now, I had a ghetto blaster. Remember those uh, ghetto blasters from the 1980s? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Say what you want about those, but some of those ghetto blasters had excellent reception on the AM dial, better than a lot of the radios today. Oh, yeah. Oh, they yeah, don't make especially. them like they used to. I, oh. I, I wouldn't mind having one of those ghetto blasters right now. Although I'd rather have yeah. a boombox <laughs> from the early ni- late 80s, early 90s. Those were actually better. But say what you yeah. want about those. Those had awesome reception especially on the am dial oh my gosh i'd love one of those but uh so i had a ghetto blaster when i was six years old because I, I i wanted to have a radio so my parents were nice enough to get me a radio for christmas so that i could listen to music and baseball games whatever and for the longest time i thought all the music was coming in live from a concert venue somewhere in the Boise area, because that's where we got most of our stations. We got a few of our stations from other places, but the bulk of them came from Boise. And then one day, it was, uh, uh, let's see, this would have been the Saturday after Thanksgiving of 1987. I was driving home to Ontario from Salt Lake late at night, it was going into the evening hours anyway. And I thought, this is not making sense. If there's all these radio stations out there, where are all the concert venues? I didn't use the word concert venues at seven, but I'm sure I said, how come I don't hear about all these people performing live or whatever? Who's seeing them? So that's when I asked my dad, how are all these, uh, how are all these voices being carried out on the radio? Because I think something just clicked in that my, what I was thinking was incorrect here. And my dad explained to me about radio transmitters and how uh, you can hook up a transmitter somewhere and your voice will be heard in a certain a given area. And then I thought it would be kind of nice to broadcast my brother's basketball games. Remember we used to play, well, you guys used to play church ball. 
Yep. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could just bring a transmitter with me and broadcast my brother's basketball game on the radio and have hundreds of people hear it. And uh, so ever since then, I've taken a really heavy interest in radio. I used to, when I was 14, I used to call radio stations during the summer of 94 and just pester them. Uh, just ask all kinds of questions about radio. This is back when radio actually had live air talent on it. Mm -hmm. So I used to call the same, can you do this, 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 and then I'd say something really funny and work my way into a serious question to get their attention. And I, I know for a fact, because I indicate some radio uh, people got really tired of me calling in and asking questions. <laughs> but I was really curious, and I was determined to find out. But when I was on my mission... I remember waking up one morning, had a, and I had a really distinctive impression that Heavenly Father wants me in broadcasting. Now, the path I have taken is not the path that I had dreamed of. Um, going back to a job, I'm looking for a job only because I need money to invest in this venture that I'm trying to take on. And so I do need a job for the time being, and then eventually... I'll hopefully have enough money to do this podcast on my own without an 8-to-5 job, kind of like what Robert Kiyosaki did. Mm -hmm. um, but I really had a distinctive impression that the Lord wanted me in broadcasting. And I tried, I did the thing that most broadcasters do, went and got a degree, partly out of pressure from my folks, that I needed a degree. And I kind of, I bought into it at the time because it made sense especially being a blind person. And I'm kind of glad I got my degree because I did learn about some things. But I just had the And uh, somebody a year ago said, you should start a podcast. And I've had a podcast before. But I thought, well, I don't have the equipment. I don't, because I wanted to do it right. Being a broadcaster, you tend to be a perfectionist in that yeah. industry. And she just said, well... Uh, just start doing it. And finally, after pressure from her, uh, by the way, for the record, no, we're not dating. But for the record, uh, but she just said, well, just do it anyway. Well, finally, uh, she just talked about it so much, I got tired of it, and I just started doing it. I built, I got my own domain, went on a Saturday afternoon to a friend's house, and we spent pretty much, I think we spent four or five hours just getting the podcast up and running. Didn't do a podcast, just got the groundwork started. And uh, so I think that's uh, what you're talking about here. Yeah, I think we all have, you know, you know our missions, you know, the, some of those things we were foreordained to do, we discover them. And so for you, that you're one of those things you were foreordained to do, one of your gifts and talents that God's given you is to in that realm of of broadcasting and so and it's with anything, it starts out small. You know, even yep. any you know, any you you wind back that's one thing I love about reading the biographies is that you get to wind back and see them at the beginning. Because so often we see these people as like, okay, you see someone that has you know, now millions of listeners on their podcast. Well, they started at some point where they had one or two listeners and it grows over time and that growth takes time. Yeah. You know, so, and that's a pattern you see over and over again. And it, that gives you hope. Uh, one of the stories I love from the life of Mahatma Gandhi, you know, we hear about Gandhi and we're like, 
wow, what an amazing leader as he had hundreds of millions of people that called him the Mahatma, the great soul. Uh, but, but you wind back and you see when he was 16 years old, he slept with the light on because he was afraid of the dark. He ran home from school right when the class ended because he was afraid to talk to anyone. And so you see, as you see that development, that he developed and became the Mahatma. He didn't start that way. And that's the case with, with all these you know, great achievers that you look and study. And, and, and you also look and you start to see the Lord has a pattern that he uses the simple and the unlikely to accomplish you know, the magnificent and the mighty and the impossible. So that is a, a, a set pattern, you know, that if the Lord can turn me into a writer, <laughs> I was like, he can use it as we, as we become an instrument in God's hand, it doesn't become so much about us. We do have to study and educate and become a good instrument in his hands, but God can hit a home run with you, with me, with whoever. It doesn't become, you know, so much about the bat hitting the home run as the batter. And so as we take that leap of faith, but some, you know, sometimes the, the Lord's path to broadcasting or, you know, what, what you'll be doing is, is often, uh, yeah, much different than what may be the traditional or established path. And so you follow those promptings and directions. If you've had those promptings and directions, and I'm excited to see that you're now, yeah, doing these podcasts to, to get, experience and exposure in this realm and yeah see where the lord takes it yeah it's an interesting adventure anything else you want to elaborate on before i end the podcast no i think i just i would close with my uh my witness of the lord jesus christ i'm grateful for any opportunity to bear witness of his name i'll share my witness that i know that jesus christ was crucified for the sins of the world I know that he lives. I know that Jesus Christ lives. And I know that the resurrected Lord appeared to a young boy who asked a question. I loved your story as you're talking about calling those radio stations and asking questions. That's another pattern of the great achievers is they went and they asked questions and they learned. When you're anxiously engaged in a good cause, you'll be asking lots of questions. We see that the Doctrine and Covenants all came as a result of questions. Questions is the beginning to the process of revelation. And so as that young 14-year-old boy started that process of asking a question of which church he should join, he received a revelation. And God the Father and the Son Jesus Christ appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith. I've read thousands and thousands of pages written on the prophet positive and negative mm-hmm. and uh, there's some sadly whose faith wavers when they read some of the negative accounts and there's no doubt no question in my mind that joseph smith was and is a prophet of the lord jesus christ and as an instrument in the lord's hand He established the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on the earth, which is the church and kingdom of God established here on the earth. And we are today led by a prophet and apostles. And how blessed we are to live in the day where we are guided and directed by living prophets and apostles. 
What is your, uh, I'll end with this question. What is your favorite part of being LDS? I think it is that, it's the education we receive that we can receive divine revelation. One of the quotes I rub from, from Joseph Smith, he says, if you want to learn something, he said, go ask God. And, you know, you can learn more in 10 minutes from direct revelation than you can from 100 books. I love books. I've read thousands of books. I've written 10 books. Uh, but now I read different. I read now that writing is a catalyst for revelation and divine teaching. And I even try to write my books in such a way that those that read, that it'll be a catalyst for them to be taught by the Spirit and to receive divine teaching. And again, I've, I've, the book 12 Paradoxes of the Gospel was published by, uh, by a publisher in Pennsylvania. All their executives are Baptists. I'm the only uh, Mormon author that I know of that they, uh, that they actually published. And so, but as they read the book, they're like, they're like wow, that's like, I learned so much from your book. It's just, it's, it's amazing. And uh, I was like, well, and again, it's like, well, how do you learn? I was like, well, it's the process of writing a book is just the process of revelation. You have questions, you ask those questions, you get divine instruction and teaching. We also have the words of the prophets and apostles to study. And that's what I was like. I was like, well, I've got, uh, and that was my research assistants. That's always one of the materials we go to. They go into LDS.org when I have a question or a topic we're studying. I have one of my research assistants pull the words of the prophets. We also pull all the, you know, the books from the libraries and other things that we research. But there's a difference. When I read those words from the prophets and apostles as I'm doing research for those books, there's no question in my mind that they are prophets and apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to live in a day where we can, I love reading the words of the apostle, you know, Paul and Peter and reading uh, the words of Moses and these other prophets. And now today we get to read and learn from modern day prophets. I mean, that is something that is unique. Uh, to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, all the you know the billion Christians throughout the world they get a, they get to learn from from Paul and Peter and and the other great apostles in the Bible. And I I love love the Bible and and studying their words, but they don't have the words of the living prophets and apostles. And then also that that instruction and guidance that 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 revelation and and communication is not limited to the prophets and apostles. It's open up to every one of us. And so as we learn how to have Jesus Christ be our mentor, I said mentorship is is such a key part of success. I look at, you know, different things that have helped me get to where I am have been at the hands of various mentors. But that teaching in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that we don't need uh, any middleman or anyone else, that we can have that, that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he is our, our mentor and our perfect friend. So I guess, uh, I guess that would be the answer to your question. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. Uh, well, Cameron, I think we had a very good podcast. Stay with me when I end this thing, because I want to talk about one more thing with you off of the podcast. But uh, uh, very heartwarming podcast. I uh, definitely feel the Spirit of the Lord as we do this podcast. I'm sure you do, too. 
Yes, that's a, before we get on, that's what I, I pray that uh, the Lord may guide our words and and that those who listen to the podcast, that pray they may have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive uh, the direction that Heavenly Father has for them. Because the most important thing isn't necessarily what you or I said, but it will be those thoughts and impressions they receive directly uh, from the Holy Spirit teaching them directly. So hopefully, again, this podcast is a catalyst for their own uh, divine direction and divine learning. Yeah, well, thanks very much. Uh, I think we had a great podcast, and uh, I will talk to you all later, folks. I promise I will be more consistent this time of doing a podcast, at least uh, once a week. I have some guests in mind, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Until then, uh, I will talk to you later.